You're welcome to uh, be in your car. You are welcome to be next to your car. And you are also welcome to come inside the sanctuary. We have chairs set up there. And you can watch live streaming from inside the sanctuary. It's a much cooler place. And uh, maybe this is something that you want to consider as well. So just be open to where God is leading you and how you feel most uh, conducive for the sermon delivery as we come together to uh, honor the Lord. In the last week, uh, we were emphasizing that love is so essential that when love is absent, even the most impressive spiritual gifts will be pointless. And today, as we continue with the teaching of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is emphasizing that love is eternal. All spiritual gifts will fade away when Jesus comes again, but love is greatest because God is love and love is eternal. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, as we wrap up the teaching on the chapter of love. Verses 8 to 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. For tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesize in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide, this three but the greatest of this is love. In verse 8, clearly, Paul is stressing that love is eternal. That's my first point I want to share with you. Love is eternal. What does it mean? Love is eternal means in the present. Love is never defeated. It is never brought to the ground. It persists even when rebuffed. And in the future... It means it never comes to an end and it will never become invalid. Love will not fall away or drop out. Love is eternal. The gift of the Holy Spirit will pass because they are temporarily provision for the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, it will abide forever. And with that very short and concise statement to state what he's emphasizing, then he focuses on the major, majority part of the portion on spiritual gift as temporal, verses 8 to 12. A big portion, the biggest portion, emphasizing, reiterating, reminding us that spiritual gifts, they are really temporal. So make sure you use it appropriately, but focus on love and make sure love is being manifested through your exercise of the spiritual gift. And Paul here, he is using three prominent spiritual gifts. Verse 8 says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. Prophecies and tongues and knowledge are the three prominent spiritual gifts that the church in Corinth was so proud of. And, and Paul just used these three prominent spiritual gifts to talk about how temporary they are. They are for temporal usage. Of course, 
uh, the gift of prophecy is Paul's preferred gift, remember, in chapter 12, because it benefits the body of Christ. And tongues and knowledge are the Corinthians' choice because those gifts impress other people. They use spiritual gifts not so much to serve, but to brag about and try to outperform each other, which is a wrong way of using the spiritual gift because Paul is reminding them to use love, exercise love in your spiritual gift. But remember, prefer or not, they are all temporal. And they are intended for the present, for the edification of the church, and they will all pass away ultimately when Christ comes back. You know, three times he used the term pass away and pass away in verses 8 and verse 10. And then he also mentioned about the tongues will cease. And in verse 11 he says the childish way will give up when we grow up. They are all the same original language the original term, one term only, but expressed in different English translations, which basically it is saying that all these gifts, prophecies or tongues or knowledge, they will be terminated. You see, the gift of prophecies will pass away because there will be no more need for prophets to relay God's word to us when He comes again. The gift of tongues will pass away because when we stand before Christ, there will be no need to speak in tongues or other languages because God will make Himself understood by all of us. And, and the gift of knowledge will be irrelevant then because when we are in Christ's presence, we will know perfectly, verse 12 says, then I shall know fully and I have been known fully by Christ. But in the meantime, before we see the Lord, our knowledge and prophecies are in part. Verse 9 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Prophecy, prophesies in part in a sense that revelations and explanation of God's mind are only partial or incomplete because we cannot know fully about Christ until He reveals Himself fully to us. We are still living in this world. The, the knowledge is in part because we can only know what is revealed to us. What we know, then we are able to exercise that gift. But what we don't know, or beyond our scope, there's still a wide range and wide realm of areas that we don't know. And we know in part, which means it is for now only, for the current contemporary situations. It belongs only to the present age. But verse 10 says, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What is that perfect one who comes and all these partial gifts will pass away? The, most, the two most common views are, first of all, it is the completion of the Bible, the New Testament and Old Testament. When it comes, to that point, when it comes to the era, then prophecy and knowledge and tongues, they will all pass away. That's one view that is very common. And this is a view who also holds the cessation of gifts. There's no more of those gifts after the Bible is completed. And the second view is, when it says the perfect come, it means when Jesus comes again, then prophecies and knowledge and tongue will pass away. The reality is that 
with the completion of the canonical Bible, it did not put an end to the gift of prophecy or knowledge or tongues. The church continues to be edified by the spirit-filled preachers and teachers who exercise this gift. So it is a preferred view that when Christ comes again, the perfect one, when He comes, then all these temporary gifts, they will pass away. For the time being, we are limited in our understanding. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when Christ comes again, He being the perfect one, the partial things will give way to the perfect. And prophecies and tongues and knowledge will no longer be needed. So the spiritual gifts are imperfect provisions for an imperfect world, and it is rendered unnecessary when Christ, the perfect one, comes again. That's a good way to summarize this few verses by a very good commentator. Now, to further explain the temporal nature of the spiritual gift, Paul uses two illustrations in verses 1 and in verses 11 and 12. The first one is, it is like an immature child. In verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Today, we only know partially we are like a child, focusing on the temporal. So I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Childish behavior, childlike behavior. So Paul is comparing the present and the future. In comparing childhood and adulthood, the childhood behavior is not appropriate for adulthood. And in the same way, the present is not appropriate for the future. And the present gives way to the future. So verse 11 says, We gave up childish way when I grow to be a man. What is the childish way? The childish way is the way of using spiritual gifts to impress, to compete, to brag about, like the Corinthian church. What is the adult way? Adult way is the way of love that Paul has been challenging the church in Corinth that you must add love in whatever you do and how you serve other people with spiritual gifts. The gifts must be expressed through love. That's the adult way. Childish way is temporarily, but adult way is permanent because love is eternal. Like a immature child. And secondly, he used another illustration. It's like a mirror. Verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. You see, the mirrors of those days were made of polished metals, usually copper. It's not like today. We use glass and coat it with silver. So it is, it is much more clearer. But in those days, when you look into and glare into the mirror, it, it is usually not as clear, not as sharp. But remember, Paul is not comparing the sharper image of different mirrors like we compare the cell phone, the Samsung, and the Apple, and see which one has a better pixel and better picture. 
Paul was comparing staring into a mirror, which is indirect way of looking at things, or seeing things face to face, which is directly. So he's comparing directly or indirectly. Face to face is directly, and looking into the mirror is indirectly. It's like comparing looking at a photograph, then seeing a person, uh, uh, someone in person. It's not the same. And you remember when we were still doing online worship and you stare into the Zoom picture, and now that you can see each other, it's different. It is fuller. It is more comprehensive. You see the face. You see the you see the you see the body language, and you see that that the animation coming out from that person. It adds so much more understanding of how that person tries to express himself or herself. Directly and indirectly, it's day and night. It's just different. That the mirror is temporary. Face to face is permanent. And he says, when it comes to that part, then I shall know fully and even as I have been known fully. Because when we come to see Christ face to face, we will know, full, know full, fully known God as he reveals himself fully to us. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 reminds us that when, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. When He reveals Himself fully to us, we can truly know God. And we no longer look through the mirror indirectly, but we see Him directly face to face when Christ comes back. And finally, He gave that very good summary of chapter 13, verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. This three, but the greatest of this is love. You know, Paul loves to uh, group these three virtues together. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, when he prays for the Thessalonians and gives thanks for the Thessalonians, he gives thanks to them for the work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Faith, hope, and love. Same way in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, when Paul gave thanks to God for the Colossians because of their faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints because of the hope laid out in heaven. Again, love, faith, hope. And same in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Paul gave thanks to God for the Ephesians because of their faith in Jesus Christ, love towards all the saints, and hope in God's calling. Faith, hope, and love. So in the present life of the church, this three remains or continues, faith, hope, and love. But Paul is not saying that love is the only important thing. Rather, he says that faith, hope, and love abides. That means the Corinthian church must have all these three. But he also tried to remind them that love is the basis for and the goal of their works and life. And that's why he says, and the greatest of this is love. You know, think about this. 
faith and hope are encompassed by love. Remember in verse 7, love bears all things, love believes all things, that's faith. And love hopes all things, remember, in verse 7. So faith and hope are encompassed by love. But faith and hope will one day cease to exist because they will cease to have purpose and meaning in heaven. Everything that faith accomplishes and everything that hope anticipates are fully realized in the presence of God, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the resurrected Lord. Unless, of course, faith is taken as believe in Jesus, as faithful service to Him, and the fruits of the labor that we bore for Christ, then it is eternal, of course. Unless hope, when you say hope, you refer to the good things that God has prepared for us in the future, in eternity. Of course, that is eternal. But faith initiates our relationship with God. And hope anticipates our union with God. And love abides with us in eternity because God is love. You know, so all things considered, love is the greatest because love is the most fundamental and essential and central to the Christian ethics. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In Galatians 5, verse 14, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 8, you know this verse well. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in the same chapter, in verse 19, he says we love because he first loved us. You know, I like the way John Piper summarizes it. Why is, God, why is love the greatest? He says, love motivates the Father to initiate his plan to redeem sinners. Love initiates the Son to lay down His life for us. Loving God and other people are the greatest commandment. Love is the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Love is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. And without love, the exercise of spiritual gifts comes to nothing. We preached about that last week. And love is the greatest because God is love and love comes from God. So love is the greatest commandment that God gave us. The glory of God, the proclamation of the gospel, and our testimonies as His disciples are at stake in the way we love each other. So love is the greatest. I like that. So today I want to summarize my message to you that love is the greatest because God is love. God is the greatest God is eternal. So love is the greatest because God is love. In my application for you today, I'm going to share three thoughts with you. One, optimize your spiritual gifts today. Now when Paul says love is superior, love is supreme, 
He's not saying that spiritual gift is not important. He is saying that spiritual gift will fall away, will not be there anymore in eternity when we see Christ. But today, spiritual gift is being exercised, and that's why he emphasizes on love. Exercise that gift with love. Use your love to exercise your spiritual gift. Optimize your spiritual gift today because it will no longer be there in the future when Christ comes back. Gifts, spiritual gifts, like it has a shelf life only for this life to edify the church and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. So use your spiritual gift with love and use them for the glory of God. Use them to edify the church. Use them in a team effort because no one has all the gifts. All of us are given gifts endowed by the Holy Spirit, different gifts according to His will. So we need to work together to experience the fullness of the spiritual gift. Use your gift. You know, we've gone through 15 months of lockdown where in-person worship were, were stopped. And many ministries were stopped except through online. And it was not possible for us to exercise fully our spiritual gift. Now, as we prepare to reopen our church and regather our people and relaunch our ministry, I want to encourage you to seize that moment. Optimize your spiritual gift. That's the first thing you can do. Secondly, all the teachings about love in chapter 13 is not complete, is not enough, unless you move to chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love. Now, now that we know love, now that we know how important love is as compared to spiritual gift, now, now that we know spiritual gift is only temporary, but love is eternal, then pursue it. Go beyond the teaching and understanding and the Bible study and the small group discussion. Go beyond that. Pursue it. Pursue it with all your heart and make sure love is visible in your life. Love is visible in your small group. Love is visible in your marriage and family and in the place of your workplace. We must pursue love. And maybe you're wondering, how can I start? And maybe you're wondering, well, compared to the uh, church in Corinth, you know, uh, maybe we should start with giving all to charity and, 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 and give your life as a martyr. No, 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 you, have to, you don't have to start there. You can go, so, go with something like very simple and tangible steps. For example, be a listener. The people today don't listen well. We are vocal. We articulate well. We are given platform to say whatever you want, freedom of, freedom of speech. We don't listen well. You know, maybe one of the most loving things for you to do to your spouse and to your friends and to your family members and even to your parents is be a listener. When you are a listener, you are telling other people, I don't have to have all the answers. When you are a listener, you are telling other people that you can express your view and I will listen 
And maybe through that process of listening to you, you may find your own answer. I don't need to give you an answer. Maybe the answer is already in you. You just need that process to articulate and also to discern what is the right path forward. Maybe be a listener is the most loving thing you can do to someone around you. Secondly, something as simple as relinquishing your control. Share power. You know, it is a power-hungry world. And when you, you are willing to relinquish that, you are saying to people, I don't need to have the final say. And when you relinquish control, that person may be freed to be the best he or she can be. You are empowering that person to be his or her best. Relinquish. And then thirdly, maybe you can, you can step out of the comfort zone. Loving enough to step out of the comfort zone. You are saying that I don't have to have a familiar environment to give me security. And when you step out of the comfort zone, you may discover potentials that you never known existed. And others are blessed because of that. Maybe for some of you, that's the most loving thing to do. And maybe fourthly, Simple steps, tangible steps. You can learn how to welcome strangers. Even though you may feel awkward initially, especially those who are introvert. But when you do that, you are expanding your circle of influence. You are expanding your circle of friendship. Maybe that will be the most loving thing for you to do. Simple steps. But nevertheless, pursue love. So don't end in chapter 13, verse 13, even though love is the greatest, but pursue love today until eternity. Because love will exist. Love is eternal. And, and finally, in my third application to you, I want to remind you and myself that the best preparation for us to reopen our church, to regather our people, and to relaunch our ministry is not just looking to the reopening task force and say, please update the guidelines and, and, and see where is the boundary and whether we can start eating now and do barbecue and whether we can do this and sing and all that stuff. Now, we need that. We appreciate the reopening task force for faithfully guiding the church towards the reopening. But people, the most important preparation is to be ready to love. The most important preparation for our church as we reopen and welcome our neighbors is to be ready to love. You know, God is giving us a new building. I think very soon, in a month or two, we'll get the occupancy permit. You know, Without God's love, it will merely be a place for maybe inter-church 
gatherings, Bible conferences, a, a favorite rental place for Christian functions like wedding and all that because the facility is so, so well built. The IT system and the LED screens are so huge that maybe we are one of the few among the Chinese churches who has that. It's a nice place for others to come and visit, take pictures, and admire, and talk about that. But with God's love, it will be a great facility to worship God, to build a vibrant church of disciple makers, to teach God's word, and to equip the saints for ministry. That's the expression of love. You know, in the past months, our church has upgraded the lighting, the sound, the AV, the IT, the Wi-Fi connections, the computers, and, and, and many things has been upgraded. When we don't have God's love, guess what? We will just utilize that to enjoy ourselves, to make our church life more comfortable, and focus on self-serving activities and programs and ministries. But with God's love, we will add value to the facility by expanding a regular in-person platform to outdoor platform and online platform to bless a wider audience. And with God's love, we'll utilize that to bless our community. We'll continue to host BSF, uh, the ping pong ministry, and, and maybe even homeschool network, and maybe even tutorial for students and the community. And hopefully, and maybe it is even possible, someone with a vision that it becomes a gathering place for youth and seniors to come together to bless each other. Maybe even sports camps in the summer to build characters and leadership in the young ones for their future. And that can be possible when God's love is being manifested in us. You know, when our church reopens our facility and regathers our people and, and relaunches our ministry, without God's love, it will be a social gathering of nice people, nice people. Maybe even nurturing religious consumers because it's all about me. It's all about me, my family, my children, myself. I like the music. I like the people. It's about me. That's religious consumers. And we pat on our shoulders and say, wow, what a great church. What a good church. So nice to be inside the four walls of the church. We love it. It's still so secure. But you know what? With God's love, with the love that Paul is describing in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it compels us to go out the four walls of the church. In fact, to be a church without walls that we can welcome strangers and we can welcome neighbors and community and we can welcome people of different backgrounds and cultures to come together to know God and to worship God and to glorify God. Now, is that what you are thinking as we prepare ourselves to reopen, to regather, and relaunch our church.
Well, the pastoral team is thinking about this over and over again. And we want to invite you to pray and to join us on this journey. And it is only possible when we pursue love together. Remember the four indicators of a vibrant church? The first, love passionately. Love God and people passionately. Then we can live authentically. Then we can give generously and share our resources. Then we can go courageously. It is possible only if we pursue love. So I want to call on the church to really grow in our love. Love for one another. We see a lot of that. It's beautiful. You come alongside those who are not feeling well and those who lost loved ones and others who struggle in life, go through illnesses. We surround them with God's love. It's so beautiful. The expression of church life is so visible among us. But God is challenging our church to go beyond that, beyond that to someone unfamiliar, to some places unfamiliar, because God loves the world. God loves more than us. He loves the world. And He calls us to extend His love to them. Pursue love. Pursue love. And journey together to build a vibrant church of disciple makers. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, reminding us that love is essential and love is eternal. So everything we do today must be, do, must be done out of God's love and our love for one another. Lord, we pray that you will teach us how to pursue love and how to prepare ourselves to be ready to love so that when we reopen and regather and relaunch, we'll be ready to do your work. Father, I pray that this message will be deeply embedded in our hearts and continue to guide us as we prepare ourselves for the reopening fully of the church. Thank you for the reminder, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.